If you have God's Word, I want to invite you to turn to Acts chapter uh, 16. And uh, we were there last Sunday, if you remember that, and we launched a new, a new series, really a kind of a study of a story. And we're going through the story, of course, Paul and Silas. And you remember, you know, as we, we read the story together, Paul and Silas were doing ministry and preaching and doing their very dead-level best, really. And then there was this girl that was possessed with an evil spirit. You remember? You with me? And, of course, you know, this goes on for several days. And, and Paul, for some reason, does not feel it's okay to address the evil spirit for some time, several days, until the Holy Spirit gives him permission to address the evil spirit, and then he turns and he says to her, come out of that girl in the name of Jesus Christ, and immediately the spirit leaves the girl. Just in review here real quick, and then what happens, you know, they discover there's some people that don't like it because she's part of this organization where people are using her in this spirit to be a soothsayer. Or to, you know, do fortune telling or what have you. And so she was being obviously victimized by some people, you know, to make money. And so they become angry and then they have some power and influence. And, and they create a situation where Paul and Silas then are beaten and flogged and they're thrown into jail. And uh, we kind of in there, they're in jail now, and their feet are in stocks. Remember that, they're in the inner cell. Their feet are in stocks, they're in prison And what happens? Do you remember what begins to happen? They begin to sing hymns and they begin to praise the Lord. (laughs) I love that. I mean, in the midst of something that was just absolutely horrific, what happens is they they just begin to worship God as we are doing here this morning. And, And, you know, I'm wondering if we really, you know, put enough value in our time of worship. You know, because worship, and I think I'll say this a little bit later on, worship you know, it, it, is, it is that moment, it's that place where we really connect with God. And, and you know, the danger is that worship becomes selfish. And, and we, can, we can make worship more about ourselves rather than about God, about our emotions or, or what we're feeling, rather than the, the precious moment that we have and this opportunity to really worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. And so they're in the stocks there in their cell and they're worshiping and they're praising God. And then we come to verse 6 or 26, actually, verse 26. Look at verse 26 with me. And here's what we read. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open. And so I'm imagining there in the dungeon there in that inner cell, their feet are in stocks. And they're singing and they're praising God. And then all of a sudden, there is the shaking that begins to happen. And then all the jails, you know, doors swing open. And of course, the chains, you know, come loose and fall off their feet. And wow, what an experience that must have been that dark night. When the Holy Spirit moved. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for, Lord, speaking to us. I thank you for your word, Lord, and how your word comes alive. And it gives us, Lord, really images to hang on to, ideas, Lord, that not are... That are not just only, you know, stories from the past, but that, that they are real practical truths for application for today. And so, Father, I pray that as we remember this story about Paul and Silas, that, Lord, that it will impact our lives, that it will speak to somebody, and that, Lord, that your, your word will not return void as you promised that it would not. And so, Father, I pray for your, your blessing upon the word today. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name. Amen. Amen. It was probably one of the darkest and the dampest and certainly the rainiest nights of the year. My wife and I had 
received a call to pastor in Tennessee. We were living in Twin Falls, Idaho, or really Kimberly, Idaho. And, and, and we had been traveling for four or five days nonstop, you know, beginning to drive early in the morning as the sun comes up until the sun had set. And so we were probably in our fourth or fifth day, and uh, we, we were in a U-Haul truck. Uh, in fact, it was the largest U-Haul truck that you can imagine, and we had packed this thing, you know, to the absolute top, I mean, to the brim. And on the back, we had put a, a car dolly, and so our car was on the car dolly, you know, that our truck was being, you know, our truck was pulling. And, and, and that dark night, I mean, was, if I could really explain it to you, I mean, it was a dark night, it was a rainy night, there was a, 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 a cloud cover uh, that just kind of made it feel like a black blanket it had just, you know, been laid across the earth. I mean, the, the water, the rain was coming in, you know, in buckets. I mean, just foggy sheets. I mean, you could hardly see it all. And, and, and for Heidi and I, now with my wife sitting over there uh, against the door and a child asleep there on the seat and, and another child asleep on the floor and our dog in the cab of the U-Haul truck, you get the picture. We're pulling the car behind. And now we're about 11 o'clock at night and the, the, the rain is just pouring down and the asphalt is black and the sky is black and the front of us is black, you know, beyond the headlights. And we decide to take a turn. We decide to exit. It's time to get a, a room, a motel room. We are in Memphis, just about three hours away from Clarksville, Tennessee. And so we decide to exit the freeway. Now, I need to explain something. We both grew up in Idaho. And most of our driving had been in Idaho and, of course, you know, Wyoming, Montana, that kind of thing. And we were trained in driver's training that you do not slow down on the freeway when you exit. This is how we're trained. You do not slow down on the freeway. You exit the freeway. You slow down on the long sloping ramp, you know, the gentle turn. And so that's how you exit the freeway. So here we are barreling down the freeway in Memphis, Tennessee. It is black. Sheets of rain are falling and we exit the freeway. And for the first time in our entire life, for the very first time, we see an exit with a 90-degree turn. I'm not talking a sharp curve. I am talking a 90-degree turn coming off the freeway. And so here we are in 25 tons of truck and pulling the car. We see these Chevron signs, you know, black and yellow, black and yellow. And I mean, I'm talking a sign that's probably seven foot tall. And I see this sign. And just within a minute's moment or a second moment, really, I'm thinking to myself, I've got to turn the truck. And then I'm quickly thinking, if I turn the truck, the truck's going to fall over probably or tip over on its side. So I've got to stop. And I start doing this to the brakes. Now we're hydroplaning. There's no stopping that 25 tons of truck in the car that's flying behind us. And so I'm thinking to myself, Lord, I'm in your hands. And we do the only thing that we know. I put the you know pedal to the metal and we head for the sign. We hit the curb right before the sign. We blow through that sign and that sign explodes like a box of dynamite into a thousand pieces. I felt like I was a part of an experiment of Mythbusters gone wrong. I'm imagining as we hit the curb and hit that sign and it just blew apart, I imagine the car behind us hitting the curb and, you know, bouncing in the air. And now the car is flying behind us. And, and folks, I'm telling you what, we didn't know what's on the other side. We didn't know if there was a precipice. We didn't know if there was trees over there. We didn't know if it was a lake or a pond. We did not know what was going to happen to our lives. I'm wondering this morning if you've ever felt that way. <laughs> Have you ever felt blind and helpless and confronted by a wall of devastation? I'm wondering if you've ever felt that about your life, that you've hit something that is so devastating that your life explodes into a thousand pieces. And I'm having fun, but I'm also being serious. 
Because some of us, we've experienced that kind of reality where we've hit something in life and our life has been shattered and maybe it's been through foreclosure or maybe it's cancer and maybe it's cancer that we've had in the past or maybe some of us are wrestling with cancer right now and nobody knows it. Maybe it's betrayal. You've been betrayed by somebody in business. Maybe it's memories of sexual abuse. Or maybe it's bad grades. You've just spent a ton of money and you're getting nothing for it. You see, for Paul and Silas, they find themselves, they find the world rocked to their very foundations and physically due to the fact that the foundations of the prison were shaken by God's hand, literally. But spiritually, when confronting this evil spirit, the wall opposition rises up like a great structure of destruction. And though they're preaching, they're trying to do something good. What's happening is the people are rising against them and the authorities are rising against them and the crowds are rising against them and the dark principalities of this world are rising against them. And their lives are absolutely shattered and they're beaten and they're flogged and they're thrown into prison. And it's like a runaway truck and there's this tremendous bad momentum in their life. And it then the hammer comes down like a jail cell door being slammed shut. You see, the world thought that Paul and Silas were pinned up, shut up and strung up. The spiritual fact is that in that dark inner cell and that rusty, musty old jail and the rusty, you know, ankle shackles, the, the fact is that they were, all of that was no match for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Because here's my first idea, number one, that darkness is the absence of light. You're wondering why there's darkness in your life. You're wondering why something's happening or or things are going on the way they're going on. Well, here's the reality that darkness is the absence of light. Say that with me out loud. Darkness is the absence of light. And what the jailer and the magistrates who put them in there did not realize that no matter how dark and desperate they tried to make their situation, whether it was the inner cell or the outer cell, or whether there was shackles on their feet or not, or whatever the scenario, however dark they wanted to make it, Paul and Silas represented the light that man could not put out. <laughs> A truth that people cannot shut down. A power that cannot be locked up and an authority that cannot be terminated. And I think the point is, when I say this, is that we forget that, that when we're discouraged and when we're oppressed and when when we have these feelings of defeat that are overcoming us like a black blanket that is, you know, laid down upon us, and when there are these things that abound in our life, that it feels like there's no triumph inside, that there is this reality that Jesus Christ is the light of mankind. He is the light and there is darkness in the absence of light. In fact is we are the light that shines not under a bushel, but so that all men might know that there is something greater and something bigger than whatever it is that we're going through. And I don't know what you're going through, but man, I just want to praise the Lord that our light shines for Christ for his glory. Amen. I I, I understand in this world that we live, injustice abounds. I was in seminary and I was working at U.S. Sprint and that was right during the deregulation of, of, of telephone companies right after and the cell phone was beginning to emerge and I was working at U.S. Sprint as an executive during graduate school 
And uh, I had come up with this uh, new protocol that was going to save, in fact, it did save the company thousands of dollars, perhaps hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I was working with customers, commercial customers, and troubleshooting. And, and I'd come up with this, this, this new protocol. In fact, uh, the powers that be decided to adopt the idea, and they implemented it into the training books, and, and it became a reality, and it saved the company hundreds of thousands of dollars. At the end of the year, U.S. Sprint, they're great about celebrating victories and, and, and innovators and thinkers and, and people that come with, with ideas how to save the company money. And, and so at the end of the year, they have a day of celebration to celebrate their employees and, and everybody gets the day off, but we have to come to the celebration and there's balloons and festivities and there's trophies and there's handouts and bonus checks and all of that. And in the midst of that celebration, I'll never forget my feelings as they were talking about this new protocol and talking about how the idea was innovative and how the idea saved the company thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so I'm just sitting back there and I'm just kind of puffing up probably a little bit, if I'm honest with you. I was very young. And then they make the announcement to honor the one that was behind this great idea. And they announce the name of my manager. <laughs> and that individual, that manager had, you know, no part in it. And I remember I felt as deflated as some of those balloons a few hours later. I mean, I was just, I was deflated. You know, I, I could respond, you know, and I could fight and, and I could do likewise to my fellow, you know, co-workers. I could cheat people and I could undermine people and I could, you know, you know, put people, you know, make them secondary in my mind. Or I could be the light of righteousness. Paul and Silas in the dark locked up in her cell. No windows. They start singing and they're praising God and they're just worshiping the Lord. I mean, I'm reading the story and it just comes alive in me as my heart begins to leap with this reality that, that God was doing something. And notice what time God does it. In fact, the scripture, it identifies the time that this earthquake begins to shake the cells. And you know what time it was? It was midnight. Notice that it was midnight, and that's the second idea here. Idea here, they were on the border between today and tomorrow. We allow at least sense that for us to live lives that are countercultural often brings hostility and sometimes even serious emotions into play. But think of this for a moment. I mean, Jesus was the best example of this because here Jesus was one that they were lauding one week and, you know, waving palm branches at him and worshiping him and sitting in his feet and listening to him. And then just in a short week later, there was such hostility that they crucify him. <laughs> Jesus certainly presented something counter to the established norms when you think about it. Because, you see, Jesus, when we get down to the rock bottom here, Jesus changes the standard. He's stretching the norm, and we could say with horrific results, as they take him to the cross and they crucify him. I guess I want to say that we live in the balance between the pros of today and the answers of tomorrow because of Jesus Christ. He's the answer. He's the one that challenged the norms. And it was the promise that there was a better time and a better place and a better way. And and it was not just power, but man, it was the reality of the presence of God in us. But yet it would require faith 
For it's by grace that we're saved by faith. It's not of ourselves, but a gift of God, lest any man should boast. So it's the faith that God gives us, the faith that we're living in, that Paul and Silas was living in. The fact is, Paul and Silas, they, they could have been doing anything, you know, around midnight that night as they were locked up and they were strapped down and they were in that inner cell, that dank, dark place in life. They could have been doing anything that night. They could have been talking. You know, they could have, you know, they could have slept. You know, that, you know, when no one probably would have, you know, put that against them after they'd been flogged and beaten. And so they were probably weary. They could have slept that night. They could be sleeping at Monday. They, they could have worried. How many would be sitting there in the cell worrying probably? Be honest. Yeah. They could have easily been worrying. They could have been praying for themselves. Now we're back to this selfish worship because sometimes we can worship selfishly. They could have been praying for themselves and they could have given up. (laughs) But they didn't. Betwixt between today and the things and they're seemingly going south, they, they turn towards the hope of tomorrow and the wall that was insurmountable in human terms and this impossible scenario. I mean, I don't know if you can relate to that. I mean, have you ever felt like this, that you're in this impossible scenario? scenario? And, then, and, and then looking at verse 26, go there, back to verse 26. Suddenly in our world, that's how the verse begins with the word suddenly, and I would say it like this. As we look at our fourth understanding here, suddenly in our world, but always in God's. You say, well, what do you mean, Pastor? I mean, what's this passage trying to say? Well, God is waiting on our behalf. Do you think, quote, suddenly the King of Kings decided to act? Or suddenly the Lord of Lords sends a violent earthquake? No, certainly, you know, I tend to be on the more rational side of of theology or looking at theology rationally versus, you know, the non-rational interpretation. But I am reminded as I'm, you know, reading the story here that this is God. God desires to show mercy and grace. He desires to release his power on our behalf and he desires to strengthen us for spiritual living. But the fact is, what I'm looking at in the word suddenly is that God can do anything he wants suddenly. Why? Because he's God. And he can suddenly do whatever he wants. And maybe he's waiting on your circumstances in your situation that you might turn to him and trust him you know, with life. And I think what puts the grind on this is there are people that I want to call super Christians... <laughs> I don't mean any disrespect, but people that are super Christians, you know, those kind of people, it seems like they're always on the top of the world. I mean, the kind of Christian that it seems like, you know, things are always going well. And no matter what's happening, even a tragedy strikes your life, it seems like they're back on top. And, you know, whatever it is, they are successful at it and they are victorious at it. And, and there's just something about those super Christians. They're just always triumphant. I'll never forget a couple that became almost like godparents, but... Uh, they became best friends with my folks in Baker City, Oregon. We lived for about six years when I was a child in Baker City, Oregon. And there was a couple there by the name of Becky and Byron Henry. And I love them. I, I'm still in contact with Becky and Byron. I was just a kid when we lived there. But I remember Becky and Byron Henry. Uh, they're heavily involved in the church. And they're always doing stuff for missions. And, and I remember them as, you know, the most upbeat and, and, and the most happy and smiling people in the whole church. And I thought to myself, man, they really got it made. And in fact, they're very affluent. They had a huge corporation that they owned and, and it inherited and, and God just blessed their life. And I thought to myself, man, these are super Christians. They always, you know, they're always on top of it. Well, 
I had probably known them for four or five years until I heard uh, their testimony, really them telling their story. And, and I learned something that I didn't know before that time. In fact, uh, they had two children, one child that was two years younger than me and another child that was two years older and they'd become friends of mine. But I'll never forget that night when they began to testify or one of them, I think it was Becky, began to testify, began to tell her story and she began to cry and they began to reveal something that I had no idea had happened in their life. They had a boy that was my age and at six years of age he had a horse and their son had fallen off the horse and hit his head on a rock and their son had died. And this young mine, I was maybe 13, 14 years of age, here I thought they were perfect, and then all of a sudden I hear this part of their story. And then I, I think about their life and how faithful they are and how much they love Jesus, and all of a sudden there's something that happens, there's this shift that happens in me that God reveals to me. Now here are people that are practicing their faith, and yes, the pain was still theirs, but their faith was greater still. And I, I experienced this reality that, that God was working together something that was good in their life, even though tragedy had fallen upon them, which kind of brings us to the fourth idea here. And that is this, as we look at the verse, verse 26, that God will open doors for all. And so we are back in the text now and the narrative here of the scripture and what's happening that the earthquake is shaking and the doors fly open, the chains fall off. But notice this, here are the results. The doors were open for all the prisoners. The doors weren't just open for Paul and Silas, but the doors were open for everybody, for those that that, that were present. And maybe that's what today is about. Today it's our our chance at faith or our chance to turn the darkness of night into the light of morning because God wants to throw open the doors for you. He wants to break you free of the chains that bind you. I mean, I don't know what God is doing on this, this day, this morning, or maybe this dark time in your life. Well, for Heidi and I, that dark night... When we were in that U-Haul truck and we blew through that sign and it, it burst into a thousand pieces and sounded like a box of dynamite going off and the car was flying behind us and now we're, we're shooting down into this berm and, and thank goodness it was not a precipice, it was not a cliff, it, it was not a forest of trees, it was not a big leg, but it was a gentle berm of grass, a little bit of water caught in the middle, but a gentle berm of grass and I noticed lights over here and I put the pedal to the metal and I went through the grass and, you know, drove up on the side of the berm there under the perimeter road and pulled into a shell station that was brand new with brilliant lights. It was like daylight. And we pulled in the shell station beside the pumps. And I'm trembling like this. And my wife is looking at me and I believe we stopped and prayed and thanked the Lord. I think we prayed and thanked the Lord in the cabin that none of us were killed. I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to lose my deposit. The front of the truck is shattered and the grill's gone. The fenders are bent. And so I get out of the truck and I survey the truck. <laughs> I walk around. I walk around. I couldn't believe my eyes. Walk around, rock around. I come back in. Heidi looks at me. I said, honey, there's not a scratch on the truck. Not a scratch. I couldn't believe it. God had provided you see what I'm reminded in this narrative of Paul and Silas and our experience is I don't need more confidence in myself. You see, that's countercultural. I don't need more confidence in myself. I just need God. I just need God in my life. 
And I don't know what you're going through, what you're facing right now, but folks, I'm telling you, it's not more confidence. All you need is God. You need God in your life. You need God to fix it. You need God to help you with it. You need God to direct you in it. I believe that. You need God. I believe that for myself, and I believe it for you. I want to invite us just to bow our heads and close our eyes, and no music right now. Just nothing's going to go on, but we're just going to hear the voice of our living Father, our God, this, this morning. Just quietly, we're going to listen. Father in heaven, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you, Lord, that in the midst, Lord, of our darkest time in life, we're reminded that you are there. Maybe in the midst of our victories and, Lord, even the glory of life where things have just fallen in place and it seems like we're we're maybe a super Christian, that, Lord, that you're even there in the midst of that. And so, Father in heaven, I pray that you would come and speak to that person right now and, and be with that one right now that is saying, Lord, I do need you. I need your strength. I need your presence. Father in heaven, we don't need more confidence in ourselves. We need you. We need you in our life. We need you in our, our family's life. We need you in our, our child's life. We need you in our church Lord, I don't know what it's going to take to, to, to really experience that and to make that happen. But, Father in heaven, we just bow our heads and we close our eyes. And we are whispering this prayer today that, Lord, we need you in our life. So with our heads bowed and eyes closed, and maybe you're praying right now, just whispering that prayer. And you're saying, yes, God, I need you in my life. I need your help, Father, with this. You're praying that way. Just lift your hand saying, I'm praying about something for the Lord right now to help me with. Just lift your hand. The Lord, you know, it's between you and the Lord, nobody else. I'm just going to give you a chance to respond to the Lord right now. Just lift your hand and say, God, I need your help. God, I need your strength. God bless you. Many of you, somebody else, you're saying, Lord, I need your help. God, I need you, not more confidence in myself. And maybe that's where we've been placing our our passion and our interest and what we can do. But man, this is a story that shows us that God can do more and much greater than we could ever do on our own. Just lift your hand for a moment and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. God, I need you in my life. I need your presence in my life. I need your power in my life. And Lord, I need to trust you. So Father, thank you, Lord, for hearing this prayer this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit that just coming in gently, Lord, and just speaking to our heart and pulling our heartstrings as we think about, Lord, what you did for Paul and Silas. And, Lord, the exciting part about this is the story is not over. The narrative is still unfolding, and there's so much more that's going to happen with Paul and Silas and through Paul and Silas. I cannot wait to hear and see what it is that you're going to do. But, Father, right now, this morning, there's someone here today that is saying, God, I hear you. I need you in my life. I need your strength in my life. I need your presence in my life. And so, Lord, we're just worshiping you and we're praising your name. And we thank you, God, for giving us the strength that we need to trust you. Because there's somebody here that's saying, Lord, I'm hearing you. I need to trust you. I'm going to trust you right now, Lord. I'm going to walk with you. Thank you, Jesus, for speaking this morning. Thank you, God, for this chance to worship. Thank you, Lord for allowing us just to be, Lord, obedient to you. We love you, Jesus. We praise your holy name. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. and worship.